from the headquarters of the American Radio Relay League in Newington, Connecticut, this is ARRL The Doctor Is In, a bi-weekly podcast addressing common and some not-so-common technical issues in amateur radio. This podcast is brought to you by DX Engineering, helping you shrink the globe. See their website at www.dxengineering.com. And now, here's your host, QST Editor-in-Chief Steve Ford, WB8IMY, and the doctor himself, QST Contributing Editor Joel Hallis, W1ZR. Hello and welcome to another ARRL Doctor Is In podcast. I'm Steve Ford, WB8IMY. And I'm Joel Hallis, W1ZR. Joel, I'm going to ask the question of the millennium. Are linear amplifiers worthwhile? I know that's controversial. You have to be careful. Are they worth the money, Joel? Well, it all depends on what you want. <laughs> and, I want power. Yeah, well, if you want power, that's a good way to get it. And, and what you really want, probably, is you really want the station at the other end of the QSO to hear you. And Oh, no, I don't want him to hear me. I want, I want, to see, I want him to say that I am 15 dB over 9. That's, that's what I actually want. I want his S-meter to be just pegged. Well, uh, there are three ways to do that. <laughs> One way is to increase your power output with a linear amplifier mm-hmm. or crank up the power that you have if you don't have it turned up. The second way is by having a gain antenna pointed at him. And the third way is to move closer. Well, so, yes, yes. Well, well how, how about a fourth way? How about the gain antenna pointed at him and... A linear amplifier. Ah, yes. These are all, uh, these are not mutually exclusive. In fact, (laughs) if you really want to do it, you want to do all of those things. In fact, I have a friend, this is kind of an interesting story perhaps, uh, and I don't know if if it turned about the uh, decibels per dollar kind of thing. It may or may not make sense. But I have a friend in town, and we live in the uh, suburbs of New York City, and and he's way up on the DX list and uh, somewhere on the honor roll, I think. There was this new island appearing somewhere in the Pacific. His solution, instead of cranking up his linear and pointing his antenna, was to hop on a plane and go visit a friend in California, which Ah. puts him a few thousand miles closer to the Pacific. And he made the contact and got on the plane and came home. Now that He really needed that contact. He he did need that contact. (laughs) And, um, you know, if you think about it, okay, what does a linear amplifier cost? What does a round-trip ticket from New York to Los Angeles cost? You know, it's it's not... (laughs) that out of line you probably don't want to do that for your first hundred countries <laughs> but when you're up in the 300 and some odd maybe it, it starts to make sense and of course nowadays you can also use uh, some of these services that have remote transmit sites mm-hmm. so you can actually say well if i'm trying to talk to somebody in the pacific i'll switch on to the station location on the west coast or or set up your own remote station on or the west coast up, yeah. i mean under the current dxcc rules as long as that other station is within the United States, it counts. Continental United States, that's correct. Yeah, absolutely right. And that's, uh, that's the way the rules are. And uh, it's just a, f- a fact of life that people on the East Coast have more trouble talking to the Pacific Islands than people on the West Coast. Oh, let me people tell on you. the West Coast have more trouble talking to Europe <laughs> than we do. For, for us, Europe is around the corner. Yes. So, so that's only semi-facetious, um, but it's part of the discussion. You know, when you talk about cost-benefit, mm-hmm. how do you want to do these things? Okay, so linear amplifiers do one thing and one thing only. They increase your transmit power going towards the antenna. And how much difference does it make? Well, let's say you're starting out with a typical 100-watt transceiver, and we'll talk about three different linear amplifiers you could 
get, and of course there's a lot in between, but um, if you got a 500-watt linear amplifier, what we used to call a half-gallon, yes, that would get you an increase of 7 decibels, which is, in a properly calibrated S-meter, 1.2 S-units. So that gets you from S8 to slightly over S9. Well, the heck with that. Well, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, but that can make a big difference. I noticed that. That's the kind I've, I've never had a linear amplifier with much higher power than that. Mm-hmm. And when I turn it on, it makes a difference. Now, the other thing that's interesting is when I turn it off, it doesn't necessarily make a difference. If I'm talking to somebody and they hear me just fine with it, yes, and we have a clear channel between us, chances are if I turn it off, they'll still hear me. Yeah, true. True. But if I'm trying to call somebody and there are a bunch of other people trying to call somebody, mm-hmm. that extra S unit is going to make the difference. Because if I'm one S unit stronger than you are, he's going to hear me. He's not going to hear you. Yes. But once we're in contact, whether I'm S8 or S9, might not make any difference depending on the noise level. So it's important to, to think about exactly what you're trying to achieve here. If you double that to 1,000 watts, you add 3 dB. So that gets you up to 10 dB. Mm-hmm. which is 1.7 S units. So now you're close to 2 S units. Now that's really starting to make quite a difference because oftentimes the difference between S7 and S9, at S7 you may be in the noise on some bands, and S9 mm-hmm. you're well above it. Or you are go from S9 to 20 above, or from 20 over S9 to 30 over S9, for But example. we can do better than that, Joel. Oh, we can. We can go up one more notch. We can what? get two more decibels by going to 1,500 watts, which gets us a total of 12, and that's two full S units. So that's, um, you know, is it worthwhile? If, if you want that guy to, other guy to hear you and there are a bunch of other people calling him, that may be the most efficient way for you to do it. Because the other choice with antennas, it's an interesting thing about antennas, the, the first increment of improvement is usually fairly inexpensive. Mm-hmm. Okay, you've got a dipole. Okay, I'm going to go up and make a, uh, a two-element uh, phased array out of that and put up another dipole and feed them in a clever way so they, they point someplace and I get 3 or 4 dB gain. Yes. That costs me, you know... of wire and a little coax and a switch or something and a little bit of head scratching to get the design right, that first increment is very inexpensive. But if I want to get a big increment of antenna performance, for example, to go to... uh, Oh, you're, you're, you're running your calculations. I can hear yes. your paper. Okay, well, here we go. Let's, let's, look, let's look at <laughs> Yaggies. Yaggies are fairly popular. If we have a half-wave dipole as a basis, a two-element Yaggie adds about four decibels of gain. That's two-thirds of an S-unit. So that's not quite as much mm-hmm. as a 500-watt amplifier. A three-element Yagi, compared to a half-wave dipole, might give you six decibels, which is an S-unit. So that's kind of comparable to a 500-watt amplifier. Yes. Now, to get a big difference that gets to be comparable to 1,500 watts, we might need to use a pair of stacked five-element Yagis. That gets us 11 dB, perhaps. Now, of course, this depends on the length of the booms and how far oh, yeah. apart they yeah. are stacked. And that gets us two S units. Now, the two-element Yagi might be less expensive than the 500-watt linear, but to go from a dipole hung between trees to a pair of stacked five-element Yagis, uh, mm-hmm. which are probably now no longer on, a, on trees but on a 60- or 100-foot <laughs> tower, you're talking a lot more money than a 1,500-watt amplifier. So oh, yeah. for the same amount of roughly the same amount of increase, that gets you almost the same increases a 1,500-watt amplifier. So I think antennas are cheaper early on, but as you get into more refinement in antennas, you start to talk about big dollars, and that's the big difference. And the other thing to take into account isn't just the amount of gain, it's the angle at which the radiation is occurring. That's right. So as you go up higher on the um, tower with your Yagi, you actually have more than the gain numbers would uh, would indicate. Plus, the Yagi gives you a, a 
benefit on the receive side. You can null out stations behind you when you're talking to somebody overseas. Well, so, that's true. I mean, the, the linear amplifier does nothing for receive. Absolutely correct. So there's a trade-off. And, of course, the seri- people who are really serious, as you say, do it all. They do a 1,500-watt amplifier, at least, and mm-hmm. a 100-foot tower <laughs> with a pair of Yaggies on it. And then uh, they have a lot of flexibility. They can select, feed both of them for maximum gain at an intermediate angle. If they want the lowest possible angle, they'll just use the top Yagi. They can put them out of phase to get high angle coverage for um, fairly close-in stations. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, of possibilities with a, with a pair of Yaggies. But you're talking a serious station and a serious monetary commitment. So you can go either way. Uh, if you have antenna restrictions, as I do, your only choice is either very stealthy antennas or amplifier power. Yes. I do both. Well, no, that, that, makes, that makes perfect sense. I mean, we should also bring up the other factor, uh, and that is electrical power as it applies to linear amplifiers. I mean, I, I live in a house with a, a rather uh, anemic service. <laughs> my, my, my window air conditioners dim the lights sometimes, ah, you know, that, yes. that sort of thing. So I'm assuming, obviously, that I could not just take a 1,500-watt amplifier and connect it to my 120-volt service and... I mean, I would need something, uh, well, like a 220 service, something oh, like yes. that. Oh, yes. I think that's, well, uh, the smaller amplifiers typically can run from 120 volts, but they typically require a lot of current, so you can't just plug it into the same circuit with your washing machine and your television set and expect it to work. Yes. It almost requires a dedicated circuit to work well. In my case, perhaps I was fortunate, I had a <laughs> minor disaster in which my electrical panel burned up. <laughs> Nothing to do with ham radio. Water, minor, minor water, disaster. Water, water had run down the, uh, the feed wire from the street and uh, gotten into the panel and caused a short. And I had a little, wasn't a serious high flame fire, but it was a, seri- it was a serious enough fire that I didn't want to, want to do that again. While I was replacing it, I, it was a 240 service to start mm-hmm. with. It was a 100 amp service. And I figured, well, as long as I'm replacing it, I put in a 200 amp service yes. on 240 thinking I was going to go to central air, which I did. Uh, then it was pretty easy to add dedicated circuits. I actually have two linear amplifier circuits, one to my basement shack and one to my office shack. I only mm-hmm. use one at a time. But it's just wire and sockets, and I, you didn't have to tear up walls to put them in. So that, that is a point, though. It depends on, on what you've got. And if you have 240 volts to start with and enough capacity, uh, you probably can make this work. If you have a drier circuit... Mm-hmm. You must have enough capacity for a linear amplifier. You just might not be able to run the dryer and the linear True. at the same time. True. Well, yes. <laughs> so, um, but that that usually can be managed. I'm not trying to pile on the negativity, but I, I just want to bring up one other factor, and that is uh, the issue of interference to your consumer devices, your neighbors. Obviously, I would think. Although, please clarify this. You know, educate me here. If I go from 100 watts with my dipole out in the backyard like I have to 1,500 watts to that antenna, I assume I'm going to hear from my neighbors at that point, or will I? Well, you may. I mean, that that's a good question. If uh, they have proper equipment and you have proper equipment, hopefully not. You may hear from them. They say, hey, there's something burning in your backyard. That's another thing I didn't talk about. <laughs> You've got, got some other aspects of this, too. Your remote antenna tuner is probably rated for 200 watts. <laughs> that's right. And your coax cable on the higher frequency bands can be a limit when you get to 1500 watts as can your lightning arrestor you got to look at everything the typical small coax i don't have the numbers in front of me but uh, something like rg8x on 10 meters 500 watts may be all you can expect to 
put through that. Oh. So, you know, I, that's another advantage of 500 watts that I have is everything I have works with 500 watts. With 1,500 watts, I'd have to go and do a little bit of a survey of my cables and, and even connector types. I mean, you can, mm-hmm. you can flash over some connectors at high enough power. So that, you know, 1,500 watts, you know, you should take a tour of a broadcast station before you yes. do this and look at what they do. <laughs> You're kind of getting close to that. Uh, in fact, some broadcast stations don't even yeah, run that do, much. do run, yes. So really... It, it's not a matter of just adding an amplifier. You are you are compelled to really review your whole station setup. Yes. From the antenna tuner to the coax to your electrical, all of that. All of that. And, oh, by the way, pull out your calculations for your RF safety assessment and make sure that uh, that extra power is not push you over the line uh, with your neighbors or even with the people in your house. So, you you know, mm-hmm. that, that's going to be an issue as well. But let's say that you go ahead and do this. Everything is rated for the power. You install the 1,500-watt linear amplifier. Have we established, assuming that you can afford it, that it is worthwhile in, in many cases, some cases, or not? Well, it depends on the... Here's the thing. If you are operating... On a band, 10 meters is wide open to the Pacific, and you're talking to somebody in New Zealand. Yes. There's nobody else on frequency. You can probably talk to him all afternoon on with 10 or 20 watts. Mm-hmm. We've all done that. On the other hand, uh, somebody that's on an island 50 miles from there, you could talk to them if nobody else were trying to talk to that person. Right. <laughs> but what usually happens is there are a bunch of people trying to do that. And if you, if it's very important for you to talk to that person on that island mm-hmm. while he's pedaling his generator and, and until he tires out and comes <laughs> home again... It's going to take all the signal strength you can muster to try mm-hmm. to get through. That's when you need really need a linear amplifier. So you can always find somebody to chat with at 100 watts if the band's open. Yes. If you want to talk to a particular station at a particular time and a whole bunch of other people also want to talk to that station, that's when a linear amplifier becomes important. So it, it sounds like you're saying that linear amplifiers are important in what I would call competitive situations, contests, DX hunting, that sort of thing. Is that right? I think that's that's quite true. I think that's the crux of the matter. If you don't care who you're talking to, you, can, you just want to get on and talk to somebody, you can find somebody to talk to with 100 watts in your dipole. Mm-hmm. If you want to talk to a particular station that other people want to talk to, then you've got to have a competitive signal or you won't compete. Now, the other um, there's another factor here that we can talk about, and some people are sitting up strongly in their chairs waiting for this to happen, but uh, <laughs> technique, operating yes. technique, <laughs> and, and finesse. Mm-hmm. Now, this may be somewhat prejudicial on my part. I find that in single sideband operation, it's a lot harder to finesse because the signals are wide enough so that you can't kind of slide around somebody the way you can on CW. That's right. So on CW, if um, if you can move your signal to where it isn't being clobbered by a bunch of other people, mm-hmm. and the station at the other end happens to tune and hear your signal, you can get through with a much weaker signal. Yes. Instead of just banging your head against all these other guys on the same frequency. That's right. And But in sideband, it seems like to me it's a lot harder because mm-hmm. the it's hard to find a clear spot because the two kilohertz bandwidth or whatever. And of course, some of these guys crank their signals up so far that they take up a lot more than two kilohertz. Oh, yes. yes. So it it um, it can be very tough. So I think there's we actually we talked about the benefits of CW in an earlier podcast, and it's very true in this case. And I I would think switching from single sideband to CW may be as effective as adding a linear amplifier, maybe more so. But, of course, not everybody, you know, the other thing is that only works if the station is operating CW. 
you find some well, yes. expeditions that only operate on sideband or RTTY or something else, and then you that's you, right. You have to you have to use the mode that they're listening for. And, and speaking of modes, speaking of operating modes, here's yet another consideration. Let's say that uh, you are an avid CW operator. What about if you want to run QSK? And we should probably define that. But yeah. uh, how do linear uh, linear amplifiers factor into that? Good question. QSK, the full break-in operation, is very useful. I, I use it all the time, and I find it very helpful. What The other side of it is my transceiver is set up so I can listen on two frequencies at once. I have one in each mm-hmm. ear. So I have the DX station's frequency in one ear, my left ear, and in the right ear I have the station he, the frequency he's listening on so I can hear the people calling him. So that helps me to know if, it doesn't do any good to transmit during the time that the DX station is transmitting. Right. So by listening, being able to listen between the dots and dashes that you're sending and, and have an ear that just hears the DX station, you immediately can hear him start to transmit, and you just stop transmitting because what's the point of transmitting? Well, what's, what is the point, yes. But the other thing you can do with that is you can also uh, listen with that other ear and um, find the spot that doesn't have somebody calling him and mm-hmm. slip in there and call him. I, I find that much easier to do with CW than phone. Because what happens is a lot of times um, the tendency is there are some people that just say, oh, I'm, he says listen 2 kilohertz or transmit 2 kilohertz up. I'll just set it at 2 kilohertz up and I'll transmit. Yes. And sometimes you get through, sometimes you don't. Then there are some people that realize, well, he says 2 kilohertz up, but what he really means is at least 2 kilohertz up. Yes. And what I'll do is I'll find the frequency of the guy that he just talked to, which doesn't always work because sometimes you can't hear them. But if I find the frequency of the guy he just talked to, I'll call on that frequency mm-hmm. because I know that's where his receiver was last. And oftentimes that works. But a lot of times everybody else knows that trick, so you'll find that uh, you're not the only one calling on that <laughs> frequency. There are 500 people calling on that frequency. And if the operator at the other end gets frustrated, he'll tune around a little bit. And that's mm-hmm. where if you find a frequency just off that is not being used, you can uh, transmit there. So having full break-in and being able to listen on two frequencies at once can make a big difference in how efficiently you can uh, get through to that station. Are all amplifiers capable of no. full break-in? <laughs> that's it. I guess go back to your original question. By the way, a third segment of this is a, a pan adapter is useful. You can yeah. sort of see a slot in the in the wall of signals and yes. slide right in there. <laughs> that, that can be very helpful. I guess I should say all amplifiers can do full break-in at some speed. <laughs> but the problem is you have to be very careful that, that you don't transmit at the moment that the amplifier's relays are switching mm. because you'll burn up the contacts and the relays at a minimum and maybe stress the uh, final amplifier tubes or transistors. Yes. So you have to be very careful that, of the timing of the time when you put the key down in your radio and the time that the amplifier switches over and, and so forth. And that's all well documented in the manuals of both the transceiver and the amplifier usually. Usually mm-hmm. there's some delay required and most transceivers are capable of having a delay set in of somewhere in the range of up to let's say 10 milliseconds. And by 10 milliseconds, so when you push the key down, the RF energy doesn't go out of the transceiver for 10 milliseconds. Uh-huh. Immediately when you put the key down, in full break-in, the keying line to the amplifier closes, so the amplifier switches to transmit, but it doesn't do so instantaneously. So within the 10 milliseconds or whatever number you use, the transmitter switches over, and then the RF reaches the amplifier and can get amplified. And then when you take your hand off the key, the transmitter stops transmitting, and the amplifier has a chance to switch back to Mm -hmm. receive. 
without doing what's called hot switching or, or oh, changing yes. relays during the time that there's RF out there because that can really do a job on a lot of things. So it's tricky. And you'll see that amplifiers have special are specially rated full QSK capable. Sometimes you can get an accessory transmit receive board that will make that work. Mm-hmm. But sometimes um, there are just too many slow-moving mechanical pieces in the relays that, that keep that from happening. So look yeah. carefully at what you're getting. Amplify- I just changed amplifiers fairly recently. The one I have is designed to work with my transceiver. It's almost instantaneous. It uses solid-state switching instead of relays. Full break-in is, is uh, not an issue with that. Pretty pretty seamless, really. Very or, seamless. Or close to it. Yes. But here's another. I like to do RTTY contesting. What about duty cycles? Ah, yes. Yes. Single sideband and CW have relatively low duty cycles. That means they're not transmitting or transmitting at low levels most of the time. If you look at a single sideband waveform, um, while the peak may be 100 watts at your transceiver, the, the actual average power from your transceiver is probably 100 watts during, or 10 watts while you're talking. That's right. All 20. over the place, yes. Yeah. Depending on how high you set the compression and how high you set the mic gain and so forth. So the amplifier can can peak, put out peak power of 100 watts, or the transceiver can put out a peak power of 100 watts, but the average power is much less. That's why it can be so small, have a relatively small power supply. The amplifier is often designed the same way, which is to say that the power supply that powers the amplifier is designed for that kind of transmission, usually. What that means is that part of the supply is provided by filter capacitors that are charged up. Mm -hmm. And during the the time of your voice peaks, they deliver the maximum amount of uh, current they need for the amplifier devices. And then in between your syllables, they're recharging and ready for the next one. Right. If you hold the key down steadily, what happens is that they discharge and they don't have a chance to get recharged. So the um, power output sags and it's actually Mm -hmm. no longer quite linear. So that's one issue that, that happens. Also, the components in the power supply might not be designed to deliver full power. If you operate RTTY, the whole time you're transmitting, or FM... That's right. The whole time you're transmitting, the transmitter is running at full power. 100% duty cycle. 100% duty cycle. And, uh, you know, it's switching between two different frequencies, but at each frequency it's running full power, and the time in between is very small, so it isn't even noticeable. Most amplifiers are derated for that. So you have to say if it runs a kilowatt single sideband PEP, if I want to run RTTY, I might be restricted to running it at 300 watts or 500 watts. Now, there's mm-hmm. nothing that says you couldn't design an amplifier that would run full power. Oh, yes. And But they're more expensive, and they're heavier. And they're out there. I've seen, they're I've, there. I've seen a few of them. Yeah, yeah, 100% duty cycle amps, yes. And they show ads with a brick sitting on a key and that yes. sort of thing. And that, um, <laughs> they're more expensive. <laughs> well, yes, yes. But still. Expect. Yeah. So really... Taking everything we've been talking about, the answer, I think, to the question that we started with, is a linear amplifier worth it? In a way, it seems like the answer is, it depends. <laughs> it depends, yes. We there can is answer... a straightforward answer. Yeah, why didn't I say that in the first place? <laughs> yeah, that's, that would be much shorter. The short answer is, it depends. The it long depends. answer is much longer. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but still, it's, it's, it's still educational. Yeah. How about if we do a question? We, okay. do, we do have a question from Richard, W2 Juliet Alpha Zulu, and he asks, I have a question regarding the construction of multi-band, multi-wire dipoles fed at the same point by a single feed line. If a reasonable distance is maintained between each element, say 
80 and 40 meter dipoles, can I still use the usual formula of 468 divided by the operating frequency to determine both dipole lengths? I'm wondering if adding a second dipole cut for a different band will interact with the other dipole. Good question, and then the short answer to that is yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, then we can just go on to, right. the, uh, to the next question. But first of all, let's look at that 468 number. Now, that some people look at that as gospel. It, it's not carved in any stone that no. I've seen. No. And it's just an approximation for perhaps average height dipoles over average ground made with average size wire. Which no one has. Which no one has. Right. And, and that's also typically bare wire. Uh, all of those things will make a difference. That's also for a horizontal dipole. If it's an inverted V or a sagging dipole, it'll be slightly different. Yes. So that's kind of a starting point. And in fact, I'd always start a little longer because it's much easier to cut wire than stretch it usually. Um, in fact, you don't have to cut the ends of the wire. You just fold back a little more around the insulator That's right, and yes. save the wire in case you do something different the next time or somebody changes the ground underneath it. So you won't have antennas that are exactly 468 over F. In fact, I wrote an article about that. It's, I wish I had the reference here. I don't. Um, it was called something like uh, when the real world meets your real antenna. So, yes, yes. And it describes some examples of how much different the 468 number becomes with different kinds of situations, different heights, different size wire, different insulation, and so forth, different angles. So it's worth reading that, and you'll find out that that's, that's just a kind of rough number. So I wouldn't expect that number to work even if you didn't have multi-wire dipoles for any particular mm -hmm. installation. But what happens is when you have multiple uh, wires connected to the same antenna. What you're doing is you're actually connecting two impedances in parallel to the feed point. And the reason it works is the hope is that on the band that you're not using, the other antenna will have a high enough impedance so that most of the power will go into the antenna that you want, which, which generally works. The problem is the other impedance is not infinite, so therefore it will change the impedance of the uh, antenna you're using so it won't match it perfectly. No. And in fact... The closer they're coupled, the more problem you'll have. So you're right to, to raise the question of how far apart they have to be. To have no coupling, you need to have the antennas perpendicular. And that actually works quite well for two antennas. It's very hard to make more than two antennas perpendicular, however. Yes. Although one could be vertical, I guess. You could have three, but that's it. <laughs> and that's actually quite uh, feasible if you use, in fact, a, one of the great antennas that I like for 80 and 40 meters is a... Inverted, a, inverted V for each band tied to the top of a pole, such as one of these fiberglass or aluminum portable poles. Mm -hmm. One for 40, one for 80, tied to the same feed line. And that's very handy to the, the antennas become the guy wires for the top. You may need uh, additional guy wires in the middle or, or uh, guy ropes. And there's almost no interaction. And it's a perfect antenna for a field day operation or something. It, it gives near vertical instance sky wave mm -hmm. for any reasonable height and um, works great. So that's that's a good solution to this. Otherwise, there will be interaction. In my experience, it can be very frustrating to try to get a lot of different dipoles to work together because they all interact. Oh, wildly frustrating, uh, let me tell you. I've tried it. Some of us without hair <laughs> <laughs> are veterans of that exercise. Generally, the lower frequency dipole is not affected very much. The higher frequency dipole is the one that is affected, and not only does it is it hard to tune to get it to be resonant, or it gets a, it's a different length than it would be if it were by itself because of the parallel impedance at the feed point, but it also has a narrower bandwidth 
typically by about a factor of almost two in my experience. Now that, if it was 80 and 40, you still might be able to get most of 40 meters covered with the 40 meter dipole. Yes. But, but it's nowhere near as easy as if it were by itself. So, so that's a problem. And you just have to plan on that. Make it an antenna that has halyards that's easy to get up and down and plan to, to fuss with it. And the further apart they are, the less trouble you'll have. The other thing you can do is, uh, for a two-band antenna, the, what I like is the um, coupled sleeve-type dipole that I described in QST. It's made from window line, a two-band antenna that, that has very close coupling by design, but it actually doesn't have that bandwidth problem, and it's very easy to trim. So that's another possibility. But it's possible to get there. It's just very uh, tedious to get all the antennas tuned to the proper frequencies. Another thing you can do, you know, you say, well, I've got it pretty close, and I've got an antenna tuner on my radio. And rather than pulling my hair out at the antenna, I'll just push the tune button. And well, there. There you go. That's <laughs> Now, the, as long as the SWR is reasonably low, it will still uh, be efficient with, with good coax. I mean, you have to kind of take that into account, figure mm-hmm. out what the loss is. But if the coax run is relatively short and the SWR is not too high, it doesn't really matter if you're exactly resonant. So you don't have to get it quite right. And that may be easier than, than fighting your way to trimming all these things. I would think so. Thank you, Joel. As always, excellent. My pleasure. ARRL The Doctor Is In is brought to you by DX Engineering, helping you shrink the globe. See their website at www.dxengineering.com. For more information on amateur radio or the ARRL, visit us on the web at www.arrl.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for ARRL. If you have a question or comment for the doctor, send an email to doctor at ARRL.org. Background music is courtesy of Ben Sound at www.bensound.com. This program is provided under the copyright of the ARRL. Until next time, I'm QST Managing Editor Becky Schoenfeld, W1BXY, 73, and thanks for listening. 